All right, well, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get back to our study of sanctification and different things we can talk about in the area of soteriology. God, we thank you for salvation. We realize that we are completely undeserving, that you are a good God who, um, who had no obligation to lay down your life for us, but you still, while we were yet sinners, died for us, and we are so eternally thankful and grateful. And pray that you would help us to have a, a better understanding of uh, the intricate workings of our salvation, how that works, and how it is to, to work out. God, I pray that you would help us to uh, just lift you up and to, to honor you and glorify you and uh, to have a, a biblical, godly understanding and perspective of who you are and who we are in light of you. God, help us to be drawn closer to you and that we fall more and more in love with you this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've been talking through for the last couple weeks the difference between justification and sanctification. And this morning we're going to get to glorification a little bit. Somebody define justification for me. And what does it mean to be justified? To be declared righteous. All right. Why is that important that you realize that it's a declaration of righteousness? Is. Why is it important that we define justified as to be declared righteous as rather rather than to be righteous? Because we aren't. Alright. So if we leave out that very important aspect that it is a, a declaration, then we might have the understanding that we are to live a perfect, sinless life. And of course, we're called to live a life of holiness, but we are enabled to live a sinless life. We still carry around with ourselves our sinful flesh. We are marred by our sinful flesh. And though we've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that's still going to be a constant, lifelong struggle we go through. What about sanctification? How could we define sanctification? <clears throat> Continuation through, <clears throat> through our life to become more Christ-like daily as we die to ourselves and other things that are continued being in the Word, learning more about God and how to judge Him. And, uh, and that will end until glorification. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so... As we talked about last week, this is the slide we ended on last week. Justification takes place at one point in time. Um, it refers to our legal standing that we are declared to be righteous. It goes on forever. We are in the, the hand of Christ and the hand of the Father. Nobody can take us out. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And sanctification being uh, compared to that is different in the sense that it's progressive, right? There's a, a constant change. We're constantly becoming more and more like Christ. It doesn't just happen once and for all, but it's something that we should experience more and more as we grow into Christ. Yes. Um, just Justin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just for myself, just because this, uh, I haven't been a part of the conversation yet. Justification, I'm assuming, uh, occurs at the moment of the acceptance of Christ as our Savior at baptism. Yep. Okay. 
Yeah, when we were baptized in the Holy Spirit, right. we are identified with Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. Then, yes, we are justified in that single point in time. Yeah. And that's the same point that our sanctification begins. Right. Uh, we can't be justified and not be sanctified to some degree. When we are in Christ, we become a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And so that's when we start that lifelong process of becoming more and more like Christ. Okay. All right, maybe I should click on this so I can use my finger. All right. Uh, this is a MacArthur making book. He says, When the Spirit imparts spiritual life into the soul of the dead sinner, opening his eyes to the filth of sin and glory of Jesus, man's nature is sanctified, definitely transformed from spiritual death to spiritual life, such that Scripture calls him a new creation. The holy disposition that is strengthened throughout the believer's progressive sanctification is that same holy disposition that is born in the believer at regeneration. In this sense, regeneration is the beginning of sanctification. So there's some other big words that we've gone through in the past. Regeneration just means to be renewed, right? That's the same concept we see in John 3 when Jesus talks to Nicodemus about the new birth and the need to be born again. That's regeneration. That takes place uh, at that moment of salvation when we are justified, when we are declared righteous. That's also, as MacArthur points out here, the beginning of sanctification when we start that lifelong process of progressive sanctification. So we talked a little bit about the difference between positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. Positionally, God doesn't look at us and say that we are lacking in any way. God looks at us and he sees a perfect love of Christ. Positionally, we are sanctified. We are holy. Remember, that's what it means to be sanctified, be set apart and holy. So that's how God sees us positionally. But progressively, uh, practically, that's something that we need to work on more and more as we seek to become more mature in Christ. The believer has a new holy, that is completely and wholly sanctified nature. However, he is being transformed into the image of Christ. So, again, that's kind of the, the dual aspect of being both positionally and progressively in Christ. Um, that we are wholly sanctified, uh, all of us, and we are becoming more and more sanctified, but it's a transitional process that we are engaged in. It's not an overnight type of thing. And last week, we really focused on the means of sanctification, how it is that we become sanctified. And we talked about how it's uh, a joint Ever, so to speak, how it's completely 100% in the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit that we are sanctified, but we still have a responsibility, we still have a role as believers, as you were mentioned, Christ, to get up and to, to read our Bible, to engage in spiritual things, whatever is true, noble, and trustworthy, to, to think and dwell on these things, and to live a life that is holy, even as Christ himself is holy. So there's uh, this kind of this space where we're in where God is the one who's doing the work, but we still are working as he is working through us. Um, it's not just one-sided as justification and regeneration are, because those are all completely works of 
God. He's the one who called and sealed and uh, baptized us. We have no part in that whatsoever, but we have some role in our sanctification. Other thoughts or questions to this point? Well, the way I've been able to comprehend sanctification uh, thus far is that uh, we, we can't, you know, like you were saying, God does the actual work in us, but the only way that he can do so, uh, for lack of a better term, legally from his perspective, uh, is if we first begin the participation so we have to actually demonstrate a willingness uh, through action to be a part of that sanctification. And the moment that we do demonstrate that, he is then allowed to come in and begin doing the work. And unless we, unless we choose to be a part of it, he can't just step in and do it against our will. Yeah, we have to remember, too, that God is a sovereign being. He is omnipotent. So. I kind of cringe at some of the terms like God can't do something. Or well, I, 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 by that I mean he's not yes. going to. Yeah. Like he, he, by his own, you know, by his own, you know, like he says, I, I, he, he can't save us against our will, right? Yeah, we have to be first drawn to Christ. He's drawn yeah, he to can't himself. just come up and like, all right, fine, you don't want to be saved, but come on, here you go, you're saved. <laughs> he can't do that. Yeah. You know? Not so he, he, as he soon as we, our hearts. yeah, exactly. As soon as we show that willingness, as soon as we come in and say, "I want to be a part of the work," then he goes, "Get you're part of the work," and he's enabled in us. Yeah. yeah. So he's the one who's doing all the work, and we just have to be submissive and and willing mm-hmm. and demonstrating that by action. Yeah. Yeah. There will be. If we are truly in Christ, then again, we will be made into a new creation. We'll have a, a repentant heart, a change of mind that results in a change of action. And we won't have to be dragged along. We're going to have a desire to, to honor and to worship God because he has given us a desire to, to honor and worship him. Um, we love because he first loved us and he is so lovely that we can't help but be drawn to him. All right. Christians must depend on the ongoing, powerful work of the Holy Spirit for their transformation. Again, same thing we've been talking about. We can't transform ourselves. And that's another trap that I think we can fall into. You can think, okay, well, this is dependent upon me. And in some regard, yes, it's dependent upon us, but um, by his power, right? We have to be willing, but to be submissive, humble, to be able to be controlled by him. And he's the one who's doing the work within us. And so we look to him for that, that effect of transformation. All right. Uh, we're going to look up these different passages. Let's start with Romans 6, 19 through 23. Everybody turn in your Bibles to Romans 6. You guys recall what we looked at in Romans 6 last week or a couple weeks ago, the first part of Romans 6? Anybody know what Romans 6 is about? All right, the first part of Romans 6. Yeah, yeah that's a good guess. <laughs> so let's go for sanctification. Uh, yeah, we looked at uh, baptism in the first part of Romans 6. And we're going to get into, yes, some sanctification aspects here. So Romans 6, 19 through 23, who can read that for us? I'll read it. 
I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You want all the way to 23, right? Yes, please. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so looking at that, what is the obligation that is put on the believer in this passage? These are you presenting yourself. You have no, there is no obligation, which in a way, but you're presenting yourself, he said, as in verse 19, as slaves to righteousness, and uh, which evolves into the sanctification process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, to be a slave to righteousness, that brings about uh, those same kind of thoughts and terms to be submissive, to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, right? And controlled by Him, uh, humbly presenting ourselves before Him as a slave, somebody who is uh, a subject of God, as opposed to a subject or a slave of sin. And then on what basis is this obligation reasonable? Why is it reasonable that we need to present ourselves as slaves to righteousness? So now you have been set free from sins and have to All right, so yeah, we were formerly slaves of the sin, right? And again, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. And so if we are truly repentant, if we are truly transformed, regenerated, made into a new creature, then we will not desire to be a slave of sin, but we'll have a, a new heart, a new desire to work within us to be rather a slave to righteousness. And the natural result of that is our sanctification. And then how should we feel about our former sinfulness? Be ashamed of it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's not something that we should take any pleasure in, right? Um, not something that we should boast about. And I think a lot of Christians can do that, even maybe unaware, giving their testimony and uh, trying to, maybe trying to, uh, give glory to God and how we brought them out of that. But it seems that a lot of people can boast in where they were before in the sinful state that they were in rather than boasting the fact that God had come in and rescued them from that sinful state. Um, we need to, like I said, absolutely ashamed of who we were before Christ and uh, reject being drawn back into that same sinful nature. The Bible tells us we were bought at a price. So... <laughs> We were sins and we were bought. We just we have a different master then. Yeah. We were slaves and now we have a different master. Because it was a price paid. If it is Galatians, we should have looked it up before. Galatians talks about how we're slaves over to sin or to, to righteousness. Um, 
yeah, we're gonna we're gonna serve somebody. So since we've been bought, we're gonna serve our kids, our new master, our new lord, right? Um, should be like a bond servant. We should choose to be a slave. Yeah, that's what I would do. Yeah, and we should be kind of privileged to call him our, our master. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, where's the, that passage that talks about Christ calling his friends and says, I reveal to you what I'm going to do, right? Um, I don't reveal that just to a, a servant, just to a slave who isn't a slave, but we, the the intricacies and the complexities of our salvation is so great because we have been adopted as children of God. And yet we are slaves who are obedient to our master, to our king. And our father and our king are this same person of, of God, the same being of God. Um, so, yeah, great, great complexity there is that we are serving our, our friend, our friend to our king. All right, let's check out 1 Corinthians 1. This is an interesting, somewhat difficult passage that Christ has become to us, all these different things. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31. Greg's going to get that much. Got it. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. All right. And so this passage, uh, in what way did Jesus become these things to the Christians? And it might be beneficial to flatten up a little bit because or just use your, your thinking cap, I guess. In what ways did Jesus become uh, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption to us? Well, it's about the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus. Come. And revealing what Christ did. Trying to interpret, become these things to Christians. Well, it's revealed, and then we ourselves, through the understanding of what Christ did, the sanctification process allows us to see truly what Christ, who he was, what he did, when he came, and the process of all that he was. And even reveals to that's what he was in the Old Testament when we really truly get into the process. We see the fullness of Christ. Yeah. yeah so in in some respect, that's harkening back to the incarnation, right? How he gave to us these things because he he was always these things, right? Ontologically, he didn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, so to say that he became something is uh, getting into scary territory because he is the same. But the incarnation, that is a, a huge change, right? Where he stepped into his creation, he stepped into time and space, and uh, he took upon himself flesh. And so there's an aspect of the incarnation here. But I think it's also pointing to the cross, right? This, the cross is where... Christ is is lifted up. The cross is where Christ uh, truly becomes these things. 
um, the wisdom, the righteousness, sanctification, redemption that we see in Christ are found at the cross. We can see that back in verses 22 through 24. It says, For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We're not talking about signs, we're not talking about wisdom. We have Christ who has come and has laid down his life, Christ crucified which is to the Jew a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Christ in his crucifixion on the cross, he has um, put to, to shame the foolishness of the world. Uh, these people who are looking for wisdom, for somebody to come along and tell them what to think and what to believe, and he has established his own true wisdom and uh, righteousness and sanctification and redemption in the cross. And without the cross, we wouldn't have those things. Thoughts on that? Because that is a, a confusing passage. And for me, reading through this, uh, I can be tempted to put the, the sanctification process completely on Christ and draw myself back from it, right? So um, rather than putting it on myself and saying, well, I'm responsible for my sanctification, just to take an apathetic apathetic uh, point of view and say, okay, well, God is going to work within me whatever he wills, right? He has become to me sanctification, so I'm just going to kind of sit back passively and let him do whatever and I have no responsibility of my own. Um, whatever God does, he does. Kind of a fatalistic mentality, right? But we have to keep both these aspects in view. That Christ is the one who has become to us sanctification at the cross. Christ is the one who empowers us to do the things that he has called us to do. However, we are still responsible. We still have to be submissive and yielding to him, um, walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. Without the revealing of wealth and knowledge of the point Christ did, there is no salvation, no regeneration. We, he is the, he personifies it in us, but we have to understand it. We have to engulf it. We have to be drawn by the Holy Spirit to really realize that who Christ is. Just reading it does not really do anything for you. So it is that process of what comes into our lives and affects us to the point, through the Holy Spirit, obviously, to really know. And through that, Christ, Christ alone, becomes our true understanding that there is no other way. Yeah. Yeah, let me read for you Colossians 2. It says pretty much that same thing. Uh, starting verse 1 says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Christ himself is this knowledge. Um, this true knowledge of God's mystery, and in him are hidden all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So without him, we can't have any true knowledge or true understanding. We're just 
uh, borrow from a Christian worldview, borrow from a Christian perspective. Jerry? I just happened to be reading if we live by the Spirit, which is justification, let us also walk by the Spirit, which is sanctification. Yeah. Amen. No glorification aspect in that passage, huh? We'll get there. <laughs> All right, our source of sanctification is the propitiation. What's that word mean again? Satisfactory payment. Satisfactory payment. So our source of sanctification is the propitiation or the satisfactory payment of Jesus poured out on the cross. We are sanctified by what he has done for us on the cross. That satisfactory payment that he offered to God to appease God's wrath that he has poured out upon us and to offer us grace instead through his sacrifice. John Owen, again, from Mortification of Sin. If you guys haven't read through that, it's a, a good reader, a good listen. Set faith at work on Christ for the killing of thy sin. His blood is a great sovereign remedy for sin-sick souls. Live in this, and thou wilt die a conqueror. Yea, thou wilt, through the good providence of God, live to see thy lust dead at thy feet. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> John Owen, he was a, a sensitive soul. He had a great understanding of his own sin and depravity. Um, and he knew what it was to have power over sin. Again, if you go back to 1 John 2, that John writes and says, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. So we can't have power over sin, not completely, but we have the ability not to sin because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. All right, let's check out Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 14. That's a chapter that goes and talks about discipline and how God disciplines or chastises those who are truly his, those who, whom he loves, those who are legitimate children, which again speaks to the fact that he adopts us into his family at that point of justification. When we, we become his, he takes us and he adopts us out of the kingdom of darkness, transfers us into a kingdom of light, and we are no longer children of the devil. We are no longer enemies of God, but children of God, which is an incredible concept. All right, Hebrews 12, and somebody read that verse for us, 14, please. Got it. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. I'm going to read 15 to you, just because that's good. And it's there. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single male. So, there we see an aspect of the sanctification and how we as a body would come along together and hold each other up and uh, hold each other accountable to our, our walk of sanctification, walking in the Spirit. All right, so in Hebrews 12, 14, what is a Christian's relationship with sanctification supposed to be? Christian. 
actions, effort, effort, action, to do Yeah, so it's something that we are to pursue, right? How does that done? What does that look like to pursue pursue sanctification? We, we choose to be obedient, we choose to be faithful. The way that we do, the things that we do, the people we come in contact with on a daily basis, what we show outward is the same as we do, you know, inwardly. We have to use God's word to identify rightness because we don't have that capacity in ourselves. Self-centered. So we need to we need to always be defining our goal. We need to know what it is that we're pursuing, what it is that we're being obedient toward. We can't just blindly follow our own understanding, our own conscience, because our conscience can be seared, our conscience is affected by the fall, just like the rest of us, right? And so, yeah, we need to have this objective standard of scripture. We need to know scripture so we can be obedient to it and then do that, right? Walk in the word of God. Absolutely. We can do that a lot easier when we have brothers and sisters to come around us, right, and hold us up and hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, quarter three is not easily broken, right? So we're not meant to walk this Christian life alone. God has given us his bride. He's given us a body to, to come together and hold each other up and to be accountable to one another. The leader should set before them as a moral objective, sanctification. That should be a, a goal, like one of the highest goals in our life, right? Sanctification. This does not mean that we sanctify ourselves. It means that we pursue the one who sanctifies us. Again, it's kind of nuanced, and I don't think we'll ever fully understand how that works. God is the one who sanctifies us, and we need to pursue him humbly in submission with a desire for him to work that out within us. Godliness develops out of the new nature that God created through the gospel. The old has passed away, so we can't be sanctified unless we are justified, right? And we cannot be justified and not be sanctified because he who does good work is going to do it to completion, right? He's not going to uh, justify somebody and not sanctify them. Even if it's like a, a deathbed conversion, even the thief on the cross, he was justified. Um, and in that same moment, he was sanctified because God had made him a new creation in that moment. So his sanctification process, that road of growing more and more like Christ, is a lot shorter than yours and I, right? But uh, that doesn't mean that he wasn't sanctified. It all happens because of God's work. Only one verse speaks of man sanctifying himself, and some 20-plus verses speak of God sanctifying him. Anybody want to take a stab at what that verse might be? Maybe not the passage, but the concept. All right. We'll get there. (laughs) Just want to throw out a trivia opportunity for you. (laughs) Philippians... Two is that verse. Let's turn and flip it up real quick. Philippians chapter two. So I have this problem with my Bible that it has the corners bent up at the top. 
don't know if you guys have this problem, maybe it's just me. So I'll look at something and it'll say, like, I was just fairly, what I thought was Hebrews 12, but I was really like Hebrews 6. And, but I look up at the top and it said Hebrews 12 because all the pages are folded over. And so I'm trying to look through and that's happened to me more and more often lately. So is that just me? Yeah. Do I need to get in? Just you. I like my Bible. I don't know I'll just learn to deal with it. All right. Philippians 2.12 says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? How should we understand that? That's your verse you're looking for. What's that? That's your verse you're looking for. Then. That, one yeah, verse. that one verse <laughs> that talks about us. Well, the fear and trembling is worry that we are going to try to manage that on our own, from our own perspective, from our own will, from our own sense of right and wrong, instead of being submissive to what God is doing and what he says. It's so easy for us to try to drive a wagon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, my own words might be says, work out your own salvation. Maybe put in study your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, focus on it. <laughs> Critique. Um, use brothers. Yeah. yeah. Work it out. Iron it. There you Critique go. it. Yeah. Yeah, Paul says in Second Corinthians 13, 5, to test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. So yeah. it out to question, to examine, to wonder. Um, yes, good things. Other thoughts on that? To work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if we have that mentality, that attitude that it's about God, right? It's not about me and what I'm doing, um, then that's going to keep us from thinking that this sanctification is somehow a part of us. But I mean, literally, it, it shouldn't say, let your pastor work out your, your salvation <laughs> with fear and trembling. You know, so I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? Yeah. It is something we have to. Yeah, there's a personal responsibility. Right. It's not saying work for your salvation yeah. or work to your salvation. Yeah. Because you're saved, you should be doing good works. Yeah. According to uh, New Living Translation, it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation by obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So yeah, it's a process of that you are actually action, you're physically doing things that you know that pleases Him. Yeah. You know, always in your mind. Yes. Definitely interpretive in the New Living Translation. But it's a good interpretation. I can, I can agree with that. It's good. Uh, yeah, Galatians 3 3 is a good memory verse. You guys don't know that. It says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now seeking to be perfected by the flesh? Um, and just that, that thought, that concept that people actually do that, not just in Galatians, but we do that still today. And we'll realize that, yes, justification is completely of God. That is mono monergistic, right? One person working. 
And uh, then we'll come along and we'll try to say, okay, well, salvation, or sanctification rather, can be monergistic too, but it's going to be me working, right? I'm going to be the one who's doing the work. Um, having begun by the Spirit, are you so foolish that you think that you're going to be perfected by the flesh? No. We were um, birthed into this new generation, this rebirth um, by God, right? And he's the one who's going to give us the power and the ability to be carried through uh, in our sanctification and our growing process as well. All right, even in that same passage back in Philippians, uh, if we keep reading to Philippians 2.13, uh, I'll read 12 and 13 together. It says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my absence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Semicolon. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, kind of, without skipping a beat, Paul's like, don't think it's all about you, right? Um, but God is the one who is at work within you, both to will and to work. So, he's the one who gives us the desire to be sanctified, to want to be like him, and the ability to actually work out these things, to become more and more like him. He's there in, in both aspects. So it's not like we're the ones who have this desire to become like Christ and that he gives us the ability. No, he's the one who gives us both the will and the work to become Christ-like. However, we're still to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling, right? So to be submissive to him, to be willing to be used by him, molded by him, uh, to be malleable and moldable in his hands, right? And then uh, we can go back and look at Philippians 1 6, where Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so when he says that you are to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but back here already he has prefaced that by saying that God is the one who began a work in you to perfect, perfect it, uh, we need to understand that that's not something that we can do aside from his power and mercy. Do you something? No. <laughs> well, we have to be willing to understand that even we as individuals have to have God because we cannot focus into those realms of where God is. We do not have that ability. We, we can come along and just upskirted by our thoughts, even biblical thoughts, things that do not relate to what God is and go off on a different path. He has to keep us focused. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know if anybody else, but I can be reading scripture sometimes and, and I'd be off on a whole different rabbit trail than what the scripture is. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to read, the Spirit will bring you back to what the scripture is truly trying to tell you to do or reveal to you the things of God. So even that we are salvation mode or in sanctification, we still have that tendency to wonder through because of the way we live in a sin-filled life. And those thoughts are always bombarding us and it always can confuse you by what God's word is truly saying. And I guess you have to rely on the fact that the Holy Spirit is directing and leading you. If you think you can go through it without it, it ain't going to work. You need it for sure. Yeah, jumping forward to this uh, 
passage I, I quoted earlier in Philippians 4. Um, I, I can't not read um, 6 and 7 too. So 4, 6 through 8 says, Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication, realizing our dependence on Him, right? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, because He's the one who can do something about it, right? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then this verse in verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellent thing, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace be with you. So, yeah, even our, our thoughts, our, our mind process needs to be controlled by, by him because <coughs> otherwise we're going to dwell and think on things of the flesh, right? We need to be completely transformed and remolded, submissive to him so that he can do a work within us. All right. Are we trying to serve God to the best of our ability as saved sinners bound by our bodies of death? Or are we free from personal effort because our new nature is holy and therefore requires no mortal toil in our endeavor to live for God? I would say that Second Peter talks about that. That's what the first chapter of Second Peter is all about. He uses the word diligent and examine, and he's going to remind us. We're very participatory in all of that. We are. We aren't letting go and letting God. Yeah. And he talks about the results of faithful diligence and what that looks like and how it manifests itself in, in our lives. And we need to be checking for that in ourselves. And we constantly be examining ourselves to work out our ourselves. There you go. <laughs> be more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. As long as you practice these things, Always, it's always both and. Yep. Yep. And it can be so easy to go off from one one cliff or the other. So we have to keep that in mind. And it's better to get our theology in place before rather than after the fact when we're trying to figure out these things when we're in the midst of some kind of trial or, or situation. So if we understand now, um, maybe before we we slip up and and sin and. Uh, we're not living like Christians, but if we understand now that our sanctification is something that we are responsible for, we can realize, well, that's not God's fault. He's called me to, to follow him. In my sinful flesh, I've, I've failed to do so, right? Uh, that doesn't give us an excuse. We are still responsible. It's both end. All right, First Peter 1, 1 and 2. And should be fresh on our memories having gone through this in Wednesday nights. And if you guys aren't there on Wednesday nights, you can grab those recordings and go through it some other time. That's what I've been doing. First Peter starts off, says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We are chosen 
according to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to, for this purpose, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. What an introduction to a letter. So, yeah, if you haven't been listening to those, go check that out. Because that's how Peter starts off this letter, uh, talking about the fact that we are chosen, the foreknowledge of God, that we are sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled by the blood of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit brings about a work of sanctification. He is the one who is doing this in our lives. What is the Spirit compelling us to do? What did we point out there in verse 2? That he's compelling us to obey. Obedience. To obey who? Jesus Christ. Scripture. The Father and Jesus God. Yeah, so he's, he's pointing us to, to Jesus, right? Just as Jesus is honoring and lifting up and glorifying the Father, the Holy Spirit is compelling us, sanctifying us so that we can obey Jesus Christ. And remember that believers are told not to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God, with whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. We've been sealed in Him. We are to avoid grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. We are to be yielded and submissive, right? Keep hammering those words, to yield ourselves to Him, to submit to Him. And He's the one who will do work within us. John Frame says that some have taught that the way to holiness is to let go and by God, like Jared was just saying. But the idea is not biblical. In the first place, we don't need to let God, for God is sovereign and does not need to wait for us to let go before he can work. And we should not let go, for God commanded us to fight in the spiritual battle. So if God wanted to do a work in us, he could do a work in us, right? He is sovereign. We are just uh, clay in the hands of a sovereign, almighty potter who can do whatever he pleases. And uh, the fact that we should not let go talks about the fact that God has given us this, this battle. He's given us a, a commission, right? We are his ambassadors who have been set out for a purpose. We are to represent him. And so we need to stand up and fight in this battle. Paul talks in Ephesians about this spiritual battle that we are in. But we need to take up our shield of faith, take up our, our sword and our helmet and uh, to put on our, our boots of the gospel, right? We need to prepare ourselves for this war, realizing that the enemy is firing flaming arrows at us. We need to engage, not let go, but to actively fight this battle. Once again, from the mortification of sin, do you mortify? Do you kill? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. That's a good line, right? Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Uh, there's no such thing as being neutral. You're not just sitting there in your faith. You're progressing or degressing, um, and that's a reality of life. You can't just be floating along, staying where you're at. You're growing closer to God or farther away from Him. John Murray said, God works in us and we also work. But the real relation is that because God works, we work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us. It's nothing different from what we've been saying, but just got to keep hammering that in because it's important. 
We work because he works in us. Yes. I just like to think that we have a choice. We can either work with God for God, and we'll work against Him. Yeah. We can you know. be obedient or disobedient. Yeah. It's rather simple. It's you know, even if we're saved, we can be working against God, and that's not a good place to be. <laughs> so we need to be careful and be faithful that we are working with Him. I was listening to a story this past week about a pastor who was trying to figure something out and they had another pastor come over and they were trying to get advice and counsel, which is good. We should be doing that, right? But this pastor was telling the other pastor, well, it sounds like you already know what you're supposed to do, what God has for you. You're just being disobedient to God. <laughs> he said, well, yeah. They kind of hit him right in the eyes. And he just got called out on his disobedience and he yielded and submitted himself to the Holy Spirit and got himself on the path and the course that you should be doing. Um, and it just took uh, a brother in Christ to come along and say, you need to stop being disobedient and just be a blunt and, and roll with it. And mm-hmm. I think we need more of that. It's a good thing. I have to tell myself. <laughs> That's why God gave us wives. <laughs> All right, uh, real quickly, glorification. God created us to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. That is the, the chief end of man. We are to glorify God, enjoy Him forever. Glorification is the fruition of the forever aspect of enjoying God. There will be a day when you are changed once for all and exist in the very presence of God. Amen. That is a good thing. We will be changed once for all. This can be understood as ultimate sanctification. Uh, glorification can be understood as ultimate sanctification. We are like Christ to the point where, as we've mentioned before, before, that we will no longer struggle with the presence of sin. We've already been saved from the penalty of sin. We've been saved from the power of sin in the presence because we've been given this ability not to sin. And we will be saved from the, the presence of sin when we are glorified. The outcome of sanctification is glorification for every believer. Anybody who is in Christ will be glorified in Christ. What passage of scripture can we point to for that? The golden chain of redemption. All right, good job. It's Romans 8. uh, And... That wasn't the right verse that was supposed to pop up, but that's a good verse too. But yes, Romans 8, uh, 28 through 30 is a golden chain of redemption. We'll get there in a second. Uh, Romans 6, 22 says that sanctification is the benefit of being enslaved to God and glorification is the outcome. Remember, we just looked at that moments ago. We're either slaves to sin or slaves to Christ. We also saw in Hebrews 12, 14 that sanctification is a requirement for seeing the Lord. Uh, we have to be justified, have to be sanctified, have to have this new life if we were to be glorified. It is very important to remember that our sanctification and our glorification are sure, right? We have a a guarantee. We've been given an inheritance in the Holy Spirit. He is a seal of the down payment of the inheritance we will get. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says that all who are justified will be glorified. And in the middle, you'll be sanctified through this life. It doesn't say sanctified in the text, but um, it's assumed. Because if you have been justified, you will be sanctified. You've already been made into this new creation. You cannot be glorified without being a new creation. 
First Corinthians 15 is the chapter of um, the resurrection. And we can see the hope for our glorification in that chapter. I'm going to read these eight verses, nine verses for us real quick. First Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Now I say this, brethren, the flesh and blood, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. We will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And so here we see that this event is the ultimate manifestation of redemption, being taken from this perishable made imperishable, this mortal made immortal. Um, that's how we see glorification being described, that we are um, victorious in Christ because he has made us imperishable, immortal. And we have this question here, can you wait? Well, we, we have to wait because we are mortal, right? We are perishable. We have no choice. We have to first be changed before we can be glorified. Um, and Except that we're already seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Indeed we are. That aspect of uh, sanctification being both progressive and positional, right? We are already seated there um, and we're working to become more and more sanctified, we will be glorified, and we will be with him one day in perishable. Frame says, our glorification will be a consummation of human nature in God's image, humanity as God intended for it to be. We cannot now imagine how wonderful it will be, how wonderful we will be, and indeed how wonderful even those we consider lowliest will be in their glorified bodies. That will be an amazing thing. Once again, we're no longer struggling with the presence of sin. We have complete victory, um, and we have been made imperishable. What is your job when it comes to sanctification? We are to be pursuing. Pursuing, all right. Other words? Diligent working. Pursuing, diligent working. And submissive. Walking. Obedient. Yes. Obedient. Big O. Okay, all good words. Let's be the same. How do you explain the role of works in the Christian life? Uh, we've gone over this last couple of weeks, right? That we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are known by our good works. They are good things, but they are not for our justification. They are the result of our sanctification, having been changed in Christ. And what is the hope of our inheritance? Right? And we will be with him. We will be glorified. Eternal life. Eternal life. We will be forever in his presence. 
That's good. All right. Uh, let's pray. God, help us to be sanctified. Help us to walk obediently. Help us to be looking to you, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith, as we seek to work out our own salvation with fear and with trembling. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you and to uh, have a, a hope in your coming, in your returning, in the fact that we will one day be with you without any presence of sin, uh, worshiping at your feet. God, what a glorious day that we help us to focus on that and to uh, look to you until we get there. Amen. Amen.